Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey, all right. Welcome to episode number 45 of Grow Bud Yourself. We have an action-packed and great show in store for you guys. Uh, First, we're going to chat with Rick Thompson in Michigan about the 50th anniversary of Hash Bash. Uh, We have a special guest, Dr. MJ Coco of CocoForCannabis.com and the author of Coco for Cannabis, A Grower's Guide. Uh, Great cultivation segment for you guys brought to you by Diamond Cut, Strain of the Fortnite, grow tips, Q&A, and much more. So stick around. Episode 45 brought to you by Excelsior Extracts, Sweet Leaf Nutrients, Diamond Cut Co., and Vapor.com. All right. Welcome back. And as always, thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong. Check out their socials. Check them out. Check out their other music because they make a lot of great tunes and playlists and all kinds of good stuff. Uh, so thank you to them for the song. Here we are. It's episode 45. Uh, how you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. Um, I wasn't even going to say this, but because it's our guest today is Dr. MJ Coco. Of course, Michael Jordan wore the number 45 when he returned to the Bulls after playing for the uh, White Sox. That's right. But Very that's kind of like the fake Michael Jordan. No, you know, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great, but just saying. I think they even take the posters where he's wearing the 45 and just like Photoshop a 23 into them. (laughs) But, uh, that is, uh, Danny Danko and, uh, you could find him, um, on the various socials at Danny Danko HT. I'm Mike G. You could find me, um, at Mike GZ, also Mike Check G. And this show, of course, is at Grow Bud Yourself. So follow us on, on Instagram, on Twitter. Yeah, so definitely follow the show uh, at Grow Bud Yourself. Uh, we have Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, and we post all the shows as well as growbudyourself.com and our Patreon page, uh, which really for me is like the community of the show where you can really actually join and get some extras and some free stuff. Uh, including stuff from our show, as well as stuff from Sweet Leaf Nutrients, uh, including my book, Signed, uh, and all kinds of cool stuff on there. So uh, check out patreon.com slash Danko for that page. Uh, so definitely sign up, and you can do it for as little as $4.20 a month, uh, which is like around here, like a cup of coffee. Half a cup of coffee. <laughs> if that's that fancy coffee, you know? The cold brew. The cold brew. <laughs> um, but as Dan mentioned, we have a great interview with uh, Dr. MJ Coco. But before we get to that, um, we, we sat down with, with an old buddy, an old Michigan buddy, Rick Thompson. Yeah, absolutely. Rick Thompson is an uh, amazing guy, longtime activist in the Michigan area. And uh, we want, I wanted to speak to him to fill us in on what was going on with the 50th anniversary of the Hash Bash event in Ann Arbor. Uh, that's coming up April 3rd, and I uh, wanted to talk to Rick about that, as well as some other things going on uh, in Michigan. So I think, you know, without further ado, we should get to our chat with Rick. All right, so we are back, and I wanted to uh, bring in our old friend, 
uh, longtime activist in uh, Michigan and beyond. Uh, his name is Rick Thompson. He's a publisher of Michigan Cannabis Industries Report, uh, the owner of the Michigan Cannabis Business Development Group, editor at the socialrevolution.org, uh, and as mentioned, longtime activist involved with uh, Michigan Normal and MI Legalize. Um, so, Rick, thank you very much for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Danny, and congratulations on having such a successful podcast. Yeah, yeah. We should mention uh, Rick also has the Jazz Cabbage Cafe, which I've been honored to be a guest on uh, while in Michigan for the Cannabis Cups and uh, Hash Bash as well, which we're going to talk about. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about a little bit about what's going on right now in Michigan uh, from a cannabis perspective. Yeah, thanks for recognizing Jazz Cabbage. We're in our fifth season and still going strong. Uh, we just... Uh... Uh, had a great groundbreaking interview with Michael Thompson, which you may be familiar with. Uh, at one point, he was America's best known cannabis POW, uh, received clemency from the governor in December, was released from the Bureau of Prisons in January. And his story is such a Cinderella one. He now is an owner of his own home and just today posted pictures of himself with a brand new truck. Uh, and this is all the result of donations and gifts from people within the cannabis industry. His GoFundMe page raised $270,000. But Danny, it raised it from like 70,000 individual donations. So you know what that means. People pulled from the bottom of their pocket a 5 or a $10 bill in order to give to someone who had absolutely nothing coming out of prison. And that's just a success story for America, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. And uh, actually, the video that you, I believe you shot uh, of him actually coming out of prison is something I think everyone should see and hear his words upon his release. Here's a guy who uh, who wears his heart on his sleeve. Um, he, he tells me in private conversations, he still hears the voices of his fellow prisoners calling his name as he was walked out at four o'clock in the morning in the middle of a snowstorm. Uh, don't forget about us, Miko. Don't, don't leave us behind. And he's dedicated to prison reform as well as cannabis law reform, but really reforming the criminal justice system and trying to make sure that there's humane conditions for those left behind. Yeah, absolutely. And um, now how would people, if they wanted to listen to that episode or any other episodes of Jazz Cabbage Cafe, uh, how could they do that? Well, uh, we have YouTube channels. I have my own YouTube channel, Rick Thompson, uh, and then we also have the Jazz Cabbage Cafe. I believe you'll find the video you just talked about. That'll be on my YouTube page. Uh, Jazz Cabbage Cafe is broadcast live every Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Facebook, but then we use all streaming platforms afterwards. So shortly after the live broadcast, you can catch it on Alexa, iTunes, Spotify. Yeah, that's really a, a, an amazing story of uh, perseverance on his part. I remember reading about him, I think, the first time in Shattered Lives back in the 90s. He was, I believe, one of the cases uh, even back then uh, that were people were focused on as a nonviolent cannabis offender serving decades and decades in prison uh, for this peaceful plant. 
and it's just great that he's out now at least because he received clemency he's he's released from some of the fetters that most people on parole normally would have so he's able to actually take a job within the cannabis industry which most people getting out of prison don't have the option of doing but this is really a success story that involves celebrities sean king kim kardashian jim belushi last prisoner project steve d'angelo a lot of different people here in the state of michigan with the cannabis caucus and the redemption foundation uh, when you look at all the people that had a hand in in helping him walk free from that prison cell uh i mean there's no greater example of unity we talk about achieving unity in our in our society. There's a picture of it right there. Absolutely. And uh, I have had the honor of uh, attending Hash Bash in Ann Arbor, uh, which this year is celebrating its 50th anniversary. Uh, what an amazing tale. Uh, started in 72, I believe. Uh, April of 72, the same year I was born. And... Uh, Tell me a little bit about that, because actually Ann Arbor was one of the sort of first places where uh, the cracks started to form in cannabis prohibition. But uh, can you tell me a little bit about uh, Hash Bash, the history and, and what's going on with that? Well, John Sinclair was a, a very popular music producer for the MC5 and other bands around Detroit. He was also involved in the White Panther movement, too. He had a, a very high national profile. And at one point, the White Panthers were considered to be America's number one enemy. When the police busted him and gave uh, him 10 years in prison for two joints, there was a huge outrage across the United States. A group of uh, world-class attorneys from everywhere came together, put together a case, helped to emancipate him from jail. And eventually when he was popped out, uh, that erased all of the cannabis laws in the state of Michigan because they decided they were unconstitutionally derived. And uh, for a, a couple of weeks here, we didn't have any rules prohibi prohibiting cannabis at all in Michigan. Hash Bash was a rally designed to support John while he was still incarcerated. It had uh, the original version was a Chrysler arena. It featured Bob Seger, John Lennon of the Beatles, uh, Stevie wonder, uh, you, you name it. The, all the big names were there and it was sort of like the, remember the no nukes concerts from the seventies and some of the, the farm aids that we had in the eighties. This is the first of those. It really was when you consider how many different acts were brought together and for a single political purpose. And that was the origin of Hash Bash. And then it eventually evolved from Chrysler Arena onto the Ann Arbor campus and adopted its current location, which is you know on the steps of the law library. Yeah, the Diag, they call it, right? Yes, they do. It's a beautiful place. <laughs> and Danny, you've, you've stood on those steps when that's filled with 9,000 smiling faces, all cheering and chanting in unison. Man, that, that gives your heart something. I, I skip a beat, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. And uh, I believe that also the university had a particular uh, kind of decrim uh, thing where possession of a, of a small amount of, of cannabis or hash was just a ticket or something along those lines. Now, it's important to make the distinction between the city of Ann Arbor and the campus of the University of Michigan itself. On the University of Michigan campus, it's still very, very illegal to smoke even a little bit of cannabis. But the city of Ann Arbor itself, early on in the 70s, uh, made the possession of cannabis only a $5 ticketable offense. And many 
old school cannabis advocates will tell you they tried super hard to get one of those Ann Arbor police officers to write them that $5 ticket so they could put it in a frame and put it on the wall, and they never would. So Ann Arbor really was, if not one of the first, the first bastion of cannabis freedom in the United States of America. Just like a an oasis. <laughs> well, and you know, and, and, it, it did have some tertiary effects too. When we when we passed the medical marijuana laws in 2008, Danny, there were five cities that had jumped on board before the statewide initiative came in. Ann Arbor was one of the first. So did Detroit, Traverse City, Flint. Uh, so you know, we had we had a, a good track record here, and it was all made possible because of the successes Ann Arbor had shown. Absolutely. Now, tell me a little bit about. Uh, this year's hash bash and and how how uh how this how it's going down but last year we had to do a digital hash bash also but that was more thrown together and it was less professional than this year's will be Uh, we'll do the digital hash bash it'll broadcast live on twitch and we're currently working a deal with a group on the east coast to be able to broadcast it through the amazon fire stick roku network to be able to send it out internationally at that moment. Uh, So anyone can dial in at Twitch, but it's really a huge deal. We've got the governor, the attorney general of Michigan. We've got a sitting senator. We've got a United States congresswoman speaking. And it's possible, possible we might get a statement from Chuck Schumer himself to be read at Hashbash too. So when you're looking at the buy-in from politicians, it's really staggering. But those people are boring as hell. We really want some excitement brought to the hash bash. So we brought in professional athletes, one from each, at least one from each one of the sports. Darren McCarty, Stanley Cup winner for hockey. Al Harrington with his Detroit-based Viola Brands is our basketball guy. Of course, we have Megatron, uh, you know, Calvin Johnson, who's also a Michigan guy representing our football industry. And we've got Joel Zumaya, who is a very famous Detroit Tigers baseball pitcher. So we're really covering a lot of spectrum with fan favorite interviews as well. That sounds awesome. Uh, Now, what day does it go down and how can people participate? April 3rd is this year's first Saturday of April. And that's when the hash bash always is. It goes off at high noon, just like tradition dictates it will. Uh, You can tune in to Twitch and you can use a twitch.tv slash a2 hash bash. A2 stands for Ann Arbor. Uh, Don't forget, though, that if you happen to be in the city of Ann Arbor, there probably will be some people gathering down on the Diag at noon, as they always do. They'll probably have a couple of cell phones broadcasting the live stream of our broadcast, too. We're really trying to work together with the people who decide to go down there personally in order to maintain tradition, plus the broadcast team, which is bringing this message out to the entire world, regardless of their COVID. Wow, that just sounds amazing. And to be celebrating the 50th anniversary of an event like that is is fantastic and and having the governor and possibly schumer chiming in is really very unique that's really awesome uh now tell people a little bit about the socialrevolution.org i sure will but first let me just mention it wouldn't be a 50th anniversary of the hash bash if we didn't have john sinclair participating and we sure do so the man who started it all will be delivering a message to our viewers as well Uh, like i said the other people sort of boring sinclair never boring. He's always a great interview, always a great storyteller. The Social Revolution is my uh, online journalism. I've uh, done a couple of different magazines in Michigan. I had the Michigan Medical Marijuana Magazine uh, from 2009 to 2012 and the cannabis, uh, Michigan Cannabis Industries Report, uh, which I, I discontinued publishing when COVID hit. So 
we uh, we use the social revolution to really broadcast all kinds of groundbreaking information here in Michigan. There are a lot of sources of of bland information, but when you try to get beyond the surface, that's the stories we like to cover with social. Now, is there a specific Instagram or anything people can follow to find out more about Hashbash? Yep, certainly. Uh, the Twitch uh, channel is good for the broadcast, but before then, uh, there's a Facebook group for Ann Arbor's Hashbash. You can also find it on my personal page, which is Rick Thompson. Not very creative, but you know, it gets the job done. And also, I'm on uh, uh, Twitter at Rick Thompson TCC, and on Instagram is Michigan Rick Thompson. We hope everyone will participate April 3rd. Uh, at that Twitch, I believe it's uh, A2 Hashback. It is. Good job. Perfect. April 3rd, I will be there, and I hope uh, you guys will. Thank you so much, uh, Rick, for updating us on uh, Michael's situation, um, Michael Thompson, as well as uh, the Hashbash. Thank you for all your hard work over the many years of activism in Michigan. It's really, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show to tell us about what's going on. Proud to be here, Danny. Thank you for the invite. Thank you, Rick, for coming on the show. And uh, we will be back with more Grow Bud Yourself. All right. Yeah. Interesting stuff. It was really cool to hear from uh, from Rick and all the amazing things that are going on in Michigan. You know, you and I had the uh, the opportunity to go to um, to Michigan several times and put on uh, cannabis cups there. And it was a great experience. People love the cannabis there. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to participate in the Hash Bash a couple of times. Uh, and it's a great event uh, with a lot of wonderful people. So uh, really glad they're doing the 50th version of that uh if you can make it to the diag i'm sure it'll be fun if not uh join us virtually for that april 3rd and uh we have a great interview uh coming up with dr mj coco and yeah so uh, before we uh we introduce the interview we should just say uh, this is pretty incredible we actually had uh, one of our listeners reach out to us sent in an email and suggested that uh we talk to um to some some people that he was interested in hearing interested in having us talk to on the show and we did we reached out we got a hold of dr mj coco and he's actually on the episode today yeah yeah and uh for people interested in growing in coco uh, some very important information there uh, and a great website as well, cocoforcannabis.com. Uh, so, yeah, I think without further ado, we should uh, take a break and come back with Dr. MJ Coco. Hey, you guys, I really want to thank our sponsors from Excelsior Extracts. These are great friends of the show, uh, great friends of mine for many years, incredible growers, incredible people, and they have made some incredible products as well, including their THC-infused pain rub. And you know it works because you're talking about people who are real, true cannabis medical patients that are making this. Just want to shout out Outcast and, and uh, TOH. Check them out on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts, that's E-X-C-E-L-S-I-O-R-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S, Excelsior Extracts. DM them if you're interested in trying out that pain relief rub. Tell them Grow Bud Yourself sent you. And uh, yeah, man, thank you to uh, T and O from Excelsior for sponsoring the show and being just such great friends and supporters. Mm-hmm. 
All right, we are back, and uh, we have a great, uh, a great interview for you guys today. Uh, we are talking with Dr. MJ Coco. Uh, he is a PhD, uh, university professor, also the author of Coco for Cannabis: A Grower's Guide. So we're going to get into some of that, uh, and uh, also the website CocoForCannabis.com. So welcome, Dr. MJ Coco. Thank you very much, Danny. It's a pleasure to be on with you guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, now, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and uh, basically how, how you got involved in, uh, in what you do? Okay. I actually use cannabis um, to treat uh, arthritis. Um, and, you know, I had a, a long history with it, but um, actually it was recommended back in the early 2000s by my rheumatologist to start taking cannabis, and, and he referred me to that. Um, and so I started looking at, um, you know, growing my own and um, developing that. I have a background in horticulture as well. Um, so you mentioned I was a PhD. I have a, a PhD um, in agricultural um, anthropology. I work with farmers in southern Mexico and Central America. Um, understanding things primarily about... Um, you know, how they manage production, livelihood issues, other things like that. One of the things that's often been fascinating to me is um, the amount of collaboration amongst farmers and how sort of central collaboration is in farming communities and small scale um, peasant communities. Um, and, you know, so I'm, I'm really sensitive to the, the sort of value of the community and of collaborating amongst farmers. Um, and I've also done a lot of work sort of brokering between crop scientists and agronomists and um, peasant farmers and, and trying to sort of communicate the goals of each group to the other group and putting things in terms that, that you know, both groups can understand. So a lot of sort of background in translating between sort of uh, formal science and, um, you know, the practice of farming. Um, so when I, I started doing my own um, cannabis cultivation, I was kind of looking for that community. One of the first things that I felt was so isolated as like an independent farmer sort of growing a crop in a, in a tent in my house. Um, so that was part of it. Um, the other part of it was, you know, starting to look for good information about um, growing in cocoa in particular. And that, you know, developing sort of an understanding about growing in cocoa and seeing the information that was online led me to, to want to sort of publish a book that, you know, would be accessible by a broad audience that was really grounded in scientifically accurate information and gave people a reliable way to use the, the media. Um, we started the website initially to, to sort of support the book. And then I loved the community aspect of the website. And I realized that that was a way to sort of recreate that sense of community amongst growers um, that I felt working with peasant communities. So um, we've tried to sort of pursue both, both tracks with that, developing um, science-based, um, you know, but accessible articles and information and developing a community where growers can get support and collaborate. Cool, cool. That sounds amazing. Um, now, tell me a little bit. You mentioned the focusing on growing in cocoa. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about you know what what that means, what cocoa is as far as a medium, and maybe also you know what are the benefits of using cocoa? Yeah, sure. Um, cocoa is a soilless media. Um, so when you're growing in cocoa, you're growing hydroponically, um, and 
it, um, it it's sort of a, a horticultural phenomenon over the last few decades that um, growing in cocoa it allows a really unique um, air-to-water ratio. It has a very good air-to-water ratio. Um, so it, it develops really healthy roots um, as, a, as a substrate. And it has a few other sort of really interesting properties. It's basically um, neutral. It doesn't interfere much with nutrition. It has some cation exchange with, with calcium and magnesium and iron, to be sure. Um, but by and large, you can remove it from the equation in terms of, of nutrition. Um, and it's just sort of very reliable. Um, it's a very consistent grow media and grow method. Um, and one of the things that I kept experiencing sort of as I was first joining the cannabis community was a lot of crop failures and a lot of sort of lack of success with trying various methods. Um, and I, I think that, you know, a lot of people think about sort of their ecological impacts on, you know, the inputs or on the wastes that they do and all the rest of this. Um, we all have pretty significant ecological impacts when we're growing any plant indoors. And I think that sort of consistency, um, speed to harvest, quantity and quality of harvest, um, but really reliability of that harvest and repeatability across other people. It, it's certainly um, a very reliable way to teach brand new people how to grow good, effective crops. Um, and, and for that reason, I think that there's sort of tremendous ecological benefits to, to growing in cocoa. Yeah, you know, people talk about uh, peat as a, as a as a medium, but it's it's also very limited, and and peat bogs yeah. uh, take you know thousands of years, uh, and then you know we're harvesting that out of them, and then of course rockwool is even more problematic in a lot of ways. Right, it's manufactured; uh, it's not very recyclable. And and then you know plain kind of you know house soil that you buy is not doesn't nearly have the water and air right. kind of capabilities that you're talking about. And you, you know, uh, cocoa is, is a byproduct of the coconut industry, right? It's basically just crushed up coconut husks. Yeah. It's coconut husk. It is both a byproduct of the coconut industry sort of for other purposes for coconut pulp and, and milk and juice and stuff, uh, coconut water. Um, but they are also growing coconuts in plantations for cocoa core. Um, so they're doing both things, but yeah, it, they're growing it from the ground instead of mining it from the ground, which is how they get peat. So it, it is certainly a more renewable resource than that. Um, but you know, there are differences in terms of some suppliers of, of, um, cocoa. There's certainly differences between the like Latin American sources of cocoa and the Asian sources of cocoa. Um, and, you know, it's not sort of automatically, the sourcing of it is not automatically an environmental benefit. So um, if you're conscious of those things, and I, I really recommend everybody be conscious of all of that, um, then it, it's still worth making sure that it's, it's from a sort of sustainable source. Right. And um, you also recommend uh, mixing cocoa with perlite uh, as being sort of the best media in which to grow cannabis. Um, but that also requires more high frequency watering, correct? Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, the ratio of cocoa to perlite and, and what are some of the unique characteristics of cocoa that uh, people need to be aware of if they're going to grow in that as a medium? Yeah, so it's very, 
The optimal um, sort of saturation point in cocoa is close to field capacity. Um, so unlike uh, a soil-based system, you know, soil is sand and clay, um, which will hold on to so much water, all the pore spaces fill with water and it squeezes all the oxygen out of that system. So um, really those things that we think of as overwatering is not so much too much water, it's not enough oxygen. Um, and the lack of oxygen is responsible for most of the symptoms that we associate with sort of overwatering. The biggest thing to realize when you're growing in cocoa is to try to keep it topped up. Um, so to try to keep it sort of, I recommend running your cocoa between 90 and 100% saturated. So as it starts to dry out, you top it off essentially. And that leads to high frequency fertigation. But the thing that a lot of people don't understand about high frequency fertigation is we don't use more water in a 24 hour cycle. Um, we just break it up into many more doses. Um, so instead of waiting for the pot to dry out to like 50% capacity and then topping it back up to 100, we're only letting it dry out to like 90% of capacity and then topping it back up to 100. So the actual amounts applied, um, if you want to go really high frequency, are tiny amounts. You're just sort of adding a little bit to the water, like a, a good host at a cocktail party that never, never lets your, your drink, you know, get half empty. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. And it sounds like you know, cocoa kind of provides the benefits of hydroponic growing, but with some of the forgiveness that we get out of, uh, you know, uh, soilless or soil medium. Absolutely. Um, yeah, some of the forgiveness, like in comparison to DWC, where like if you have a power outage, you have an emergency um, because your roots are now starved for oxygen. You need pumps running 24 hours a day in a DWC setup. And if things get sideways, even briefly, the pant can suffer a lot. Cocoa, it, it provides a little bit more of a buffer to that. But at the same time, um, it is really quick to be able to recover. Since you're never going to really overwater the plants, if you do screw something up, you can flush it out right away and then fertigate again and sort of reset the whole system in six hours or something instead of waiting like a week. Um, I see soil growers sometimes, you know, run into a pH problem or run into some other kind of issue and it just takes forever to recover. Now, are there um, any, uh, speaking of pH, is there any, uh, you know, interesting uh, pH issues that arise when using cocoa? Um, you know, the main one is to be aware of, of calcium issues, really. That's sort of the main concern with running cocoa. Um, and pH can affect uh, calcium uptake in, in certain situations. So I sometimes tell people to raise the, the pH of their solution if they're really having calcium uptake issues. Um, you know, calcium is a bit of a tricky one. There's cation exchange with cocoa where cocoa usually comes with uh, potassium cations that it will release in the presence of calcium or magnesium and it will grab those magnesium and, and calcium cations um, and take them out of solution render them unavailable to the plant and essentially replace them with potassium. Um, so we have to run higher dosage of calcium and magnesium in cocoa. We usually pre-buffer the cocoa, which is just a soak in uh, a high concentration of calcium and magnesium to sort of satisfy as many of those cation exchange sites. Um, and then we have to supplement that. The plants often still will struggle to uptake calcium. Um, and so 
One of the things you need to be aware of is, you know, it's easier for the plant to uptake calcium above 6.2 pH. Um, Generally, though, I recommend, you know, altering your pH in the same range that other hydroponic growers grow in. It really is hydroponic media if you're practicing high-frequency fertigation. The, The cocoa is doing nothing more than sort of suspending the roots. The roots are interacting primarily directly with the water. Um, now, another thing that people are oftentimes confused about, especially beginner growers, is how much light they need and how to to measure that or calculate that um, yeah. for their particular space. Can you tell, talk a little bit about um, Yeah, this has been – so, yeah, I got into this. Like we were talking about um, really thinking about the science and practice of growing in soilless horticulture. Um, my background had been with farmers, um, and, and getting into this was really fascinating. I did a bunch of research and then published the book and, and did all of that, really focused on soilless agriculture. I started collaborating with um, my collaborator, who goes by the name of Dr. Photon, and his background has been much more into horticultural lighting. Um, so over the last few years, um, we've had sort of numerous conversations. I've been reading into the physics, and we've been developing sort of um, that same rigorous scientific approach to understanding horticultural lighting as it applies to home growers growing cannabis, uh, primarily in tents. Um, so I started collaborating with Shane Torpy from Migro Lighting. Um, he's been doing grow light testing for years, testing fixtures from various um, grow light companies. And we talked a lot about sort of uh, part testing protocols and what we're trying to measure and develop. Um, and my, my partner, Dr. Photon, and I took that and, and developed um, our grow light testing protocol um, to understand sort of what we were trying to measure, this, this concept of usable PPF, which is the amount of light that arrives to the canopy of your plants. Um, and then building off of that, we developed uh, the grow light calculator. Um, is a way to analyze grow lights to take the various metrics that that manufacturers publish figure out which ones really describe the the power of the fixture um so you can adequately compare different fixtures you know there's a lot of good leds out in the market now um but the the range in terms of what they can do is tremendous um there's more than a two-fold range in terms of the efficiency from the bottom of the market to the top of the market so growers are still using wattage to think about sort of how powerful these lights are and like how many watts do you need to put in such and such a tent. Um, but, you know, if you're getting 100 watts that pull one micromole per watt as opposed to 100 watts that pull two micromoles per watt, that's a big difference in terms of the micromoles. So we've tried to take um, this approach to, to explain light um, one of the things I think is confusing to, to indoor growers, because they often think about light in terms of intensity, like how intense does the light need to be for my cannabis plant? Um, and that's really sort of getting down the wrong road. It, light is almost a quantity. And we're thinking about a quantity of photons. And it's the, the quantity of photons that strike the leaf surface that drives the photosynthesis. And there are limits there are also sort of optimal points along the curve, um, understanding how many photons can strike that leaf, that leaf surface. 
Um, it's usually measured in terms of the density of the photons. That's the PPFD. Um, and so you need to sort of understand most growers have some sense of like PPFD, which is the, the amount of the density of light at any one place. Um, but that it still doesn't sort of describe how much light you would need to light up your tent, which is um, the PPF, just the, the photosynthetic photon flux. Um, so I do light testing now. Um, I try to, to analyze fixtures following our protocol to measure the usable PPF to explain sort of how we're measuring this, what we're looking for, what sort of is optimal in a grow light. And we try to provide that calculator, which allows you to use either our tested results or any other sort of manufacturer data to, to estimate what a fixture would actually be able to produce. That's great. And so people can go on that website, uh, Cocoa for Cannabis, and actually uh, see the calculator there and, you know, enter in their information and find out more about uh, lighting than just wattage, which, as you said, is not necessarily a great gauge, uh, especially for people in in, in in micro grow type situations or, or tents. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's good with HPS lights because HPS lights all have about the same efficiency, but the LED efficiencies are just so much different now that you need to think not about the power that's coming out of the wall, you need to think about the photons that are coming out of the fixture um, and about how many of them are reaching the canopy and also about sort of where they're reaching the canopy. So to analyze the distribution, it's no good if all of the photons are reaching like one little hot spot in the center and none of them are getting out to the edge either. So, um, you know, a metaphor I often use for all of this is think about your grow light like it's a jar of frosting and the canopy of your plants like it's a cake. And the grow light only has so much frosting in it. That's its PPF. And... The, the canopy of the plants can be small. If you have a big jar of frosting and a small cake, you're going to get a thick layer of frosting. That thickness of the layer of frosting is PPFD, right? Um, so we try to analyze, like, how big does the jar of frosting have to be for this size of a cake, essentially. Um, if you can start thinking about light like that, more like it's a quantity of something and you're spreading it around something and then you're getting a certain density or thickness or something. Um, that's really, a, I think, a, a, would be a better metaphor for everybody to try to think about the way light works inside their tent. Interesting. Now, um one of the one of the most common questions I get about uh, from cocoa growers is typically about, uh, and you touched on this earlier, but uh, the ability of of uh, the roots to bring in calcium and magnesium, basically that CalMag yeah. issue. Um, now, is there a way to prepare uh, cocoa to buffer it or any of that to uh, yes. try to avoid some of that? Yeah, so I have a, a video up on YouTube about this. Um, people can check out. I did it in my bathtub in the video, which is probably not the recommended location for doing this type of thing. Um, do it in your yard <laughs> if you have a yard. Um, but yeah, so it, it's a good idea. If you get like a dehydrated brick of cocoa, which is really the cheapest way to get grow media. Um, the problem is, is they usually come with a lot of dust. 
And you really would rather have larger particle sizes to grow in in cannabis. So you want to sort of filter out, screen out some of that dust. I just use a colander. You don't want to get rid of, by the way, all of the dust. You can definitely over rinse it, but you just want to get rid of some of that dust that it comes with. Then you want to soak the, the cocoa. And it's really easy to just put the cocoa in a fabric pot and put the fabric pot in a five gallon bucket. Um, so it can't drain anywhere. And then fill up that, that uh, five-gallon bucket with um, a strong solution of CalMag water. Um, it just has to be, you know, a strong solution. You go 150% of your normal dose. 200% of the normal dose is not a problem. Um, and the, C, the pH should just be above 6.2. Um, it usually is for most people if they're just using tap water in that situation. Other things don't matter. This isn't water that's going to go to the plant. So people often ask, like, should I use RO water or should I do other things like that? It really shouldn't matter. Just a high concentration of CalMag. Um, and what we're just trying to do is satisfy as many of those cation exchange sites as we can before adding plants. So give it a soak, give it a couple soaks. I usually recommend two soaks. Um, cocoa can strip a surprising amount of CalMag out of the water, especially if it's totally unbuffered. Um, so you give it a soak like that for eight hours, then you just you know raise the fabric pot and let it drain out into the bucket, dump the bucket, um, repeat that process. And um, then when you're done, you're gonna have cocoa that's pretty well buffered. Um, all of the, the sites that are on the surface of the cocoa at that point should be buffered, should have a, a calcium or a magnesium cation. Um, but it will be the residual moisture that that cocoa is going to have in it is going to be really high in electrical conductivity. So especially if you are planting seedlings at this point, the next step is really important. You've got to flush that down now with like RO water or some low electrical conductivity water to then lower the residual electro electrical conductivity that would be in that cocoa. Uh, a lot of growers ask if they're gonna flush away the calcium and magnesium that they just added, and the answer to that is no, they're not. Those are really stable ionic bonds. Nice, and as you mentioned, uh, if people go onto your YouTube page or your website, uh, there are tutorials on how to buffer your cocoa and uh, all kinds of lighting uh, reviews of tons of uh, the most popular products out there as well. A lot of questions I get about LEDs, uh, you seem to have a lot of the answers here. It's an exciting time, you know, in the last few years, horticultural lighting with LEDs has come a long way. Yeah, um, tons of innovation for sure. Yeah, and the price points keep coming down. And now, you know, entry level growers can get really quite nice fixtures. And yeah, if you guys are interested in that, we have a whole grow light guide and the grow light calculator and grow light test reports and all the rest of that. That's awesome. Um, tell me about this uh, spring autoflower challenge. So the, the grow challenges, they're not really competitions. They are just collaborations where we all start growing on the same day and we share grow journals in our forum. We always set up special sort of um, grow journals that are grouped in sections. Um, everybody starts growing on the same day and then we just share things. We do um, prize drawings. We have things for like best journal. Um, best recovery, best grow me prizes like that for sort of rewarding the, the participation in the, the community and just big raffle drawings once a month. Um, we were able to give away a you know really nice photon tech light in just a few weeks ago in our current grow challenge. Um, I think we're going to get another one. We'll have a nice uh, spider farmer light and some Mars hydro lights and other things for the, the spring auto flower challenge. Um, 
And autoflowers, we do like an autoflower focused grow challenge once a year to try to convince people to, to try autos in one of their grows. People can share uh, their experiences and, and what they're growing. And I think that's really cool. So let people know where they can go to to join that community or find out more information. Absolutely. So come find us at CocoForCannabis.com. Um, you can find most of the things I'm talking about in the top sort of menu for, for the site. But we have the forward slash challenge to sign up for the spring autoflower challenge. Um, the forward slash grow light guide um, for the grow light guide and the grow light calculator. You should be able to find all of those links are pretty easy to sort of navigate around there. And um, our community um, is, you know, you can sign up for our forum, register, create a grow journal, ask questions there. And as you mentioned, we have a live chat room um, open 24 hours. It's all just about growers that want to be able to ask questions and post pictures and get honest sort of feedback. So yeah, we try, we try to do all of those things. Come on over, find us there. Um, I am on Instagram, Dr. MJ Coco. Um, that's also my YouTube is Dr. MJ Coco. Our Facebook is Dr. MJ Coco, or you can find it with Coco for Cannabis. Check out that website, CocoForCannabis.com. Uh, there's really great uh, guides and tutorials. And if you're just getting started, great cannabis growth setup guide as well. So thank you very much, Dr. Coco, for coming on the show. Excellent. Thank you very much. I really appreciate being on with you guys and appreciate everything you do. We will be back with more Grow Bud Yourself after these messages. Hey guys, Grow Bud Yourself is so proud to be sponsored by Sweet Leaf Nutrients. They have an incredible line of organic and synthetic nutrients, uh, amazing amendments, great stuff on their website. And using the code DANKO15, you can get 15% off of everything at sweetleaf.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F. They have amazing organic fertilizers, amendments, indoor hydroponic grow tent kits, uh, smell-proof bags, duffel bags, all kinds of backpacks, and an incredible line of newts that work wonderfully with cannabis. We got a great promotion going on with Patreon, where we're giving away sweet leaf nutrients at those different levels, and lots of promo codes there as well. So we are just super psyched to have Sweet Leaf on as a sponsor for the show, and we hope that you will also support them. Join us on our Patreon page for some free newts. And check out their site, sweetleaf.com, for nutrients and more. All right, welcome back. And I uh, hope you guys learned about cocoa growing and lighting uh, from Dr. MJ Coco. Very interesting uh, guest. So thank you to, to him. And, uh, you know, definitely check out cocoaforcannabis.com as well. Uh, and now we're in our cultivation segment, which is brought to you by Diamond Cut Co., uh, which is an amazing company. You need to check out diamondcutco.com because they are the premier scissors uh, for trimming your cannabis. They're conscious ergonomic designed. Uh, they're made by growers for growers. And uh, very exciting. They have a new website that's coming soon. 
uh, that's going to offer new premium products and clothing. So they're going to have merch and gear, as well as an exciting new product called the Cure-All, which is a premium curing jar uh, with a hygrometer. And uh, you can check it out actually on their Instagram, a tremendous innovation for curing your cannabis. Incredible trimming scissors. Use that code uh, Danko20 for 20% off. Check out Diamond period cut period co on instagram and diamondcutco.com to find out more about their amazing products so thank you of course to uh to diamond cut we appreciate the sponsorship and yes this is a fortnight which of course means it's time for strain of the fortnight strain of the fortnight <laughs> what do you got for us uh, what do you got for us this week yes in honor of uh luke from paradise's appearance last week on the show, I wanted to talk about Whiteberry, uh, which is a strain that doesn't get as much uh, play from people, but is amazing. This is an indica-dominant, very indica-dominant plant. Uh, It was chosen as a High Times Top 10 strain in 2008, way back in 08 by me. Um, One of the amazing things about this plant is the flowering time of seven weeks. Uh, Nice short flowering time. Uh, it's a beautiful plant. Uh, if you just Google whiteberry paradise seeds, you'll see uh, it turns dark purple with the yellow, amazing fall colors, uh, big chunky buds. Uh, again, indica heavy, so you're going to get those frosty nuggets uh, really covered in trichomes, uh, lots of flavor. Um, as with most indicas, really high calyx to leaf ratio, so easy to trim, uh, very fun to make hash out of as well. Um, and great nighttime smoke, uh, very peaceful, uh, easy feeling quality, very perfect for just sitting on the couch, uh, playing some video games and for medical patients, uh, if you have muscle spasms, uh, restless leg syndrome, this is a strain for you. It's the white berry. Uh, it's won a bunch of awards, uh, treating yourself medical cannabis cup in 2013, uh, bio menor cannabis which is a uh, i believe a spanish cup uh so it's really just one of those classic strains um you're gonna want to grow it in kind of a sea of green or even a screen of green kind of setup uh it's got that classic indica um kind of christmas tree shape to it uh so if you want to get the most out of it uh and get a decent yield uh you want to do that so again uh the white berry from paradise seeds you can check it out at paradise-seeds.com and uh again 50 days indoor flowering time so uh that's one of the reasons people love this plant and uh the effects are the other and it's a pretty plant to to look at so check it out yeah for sure check that out you know it's interesting first of all just how many uh really classic strains paradise is responsible for creating the list just goes on and on oh yeah wapa that's like you know all over europe i i I don't haven't seen it so much in the states but uh in europe it's like a staple and it's just uh especially spain it's uh very very popular nebula and sensi star nebula nebula is incredible sensi star is an amazing strain but yeah luke's been collecting for a long time so they have some heavy hitters so uh, hats off to paradise that was a great strain of the fortnight i'm glad we uh we told the folks a little bit more about whiteberry but now uh it is time for our weekly grow tip each week dan likes to delve into a topic that will help you become a better cultivator so what would you like to discuss this week 
Yeah, so this week I wanted to talk about nutrient deficiencies. I think I spend a lot of time harping on how people overfeed their plants. And uh, I think what happens there is sometimes you err in the wrong direction and uh, then you have nutrient compounds that are lacking. Um, so being able to identify and treat uh, deficiencies is also really important. Now, the first thing you need to do is make sure it's a real nutrient deficiency and not a pH issue, because uh, you could have that nutrient present in your medium and not, not have your roots taking it in if the pH is off. So first, you know, uh, check the pH of your medium before you diagnose it as a deficiency. Um, those type of fluctuations in acidity and alkalinity are going to affect the roots' ability to uptake those newts. Um, uh, so you know, you don't want to lock them out. You want them to be available to your plant. So once you've got that, um, you know, carefully diagnosed, now you're looking at uh, deficiencies and we're going to start with, you know, most popular is nitrogen deficiency. This is just a yellowing of the leaves, uh, typically starts at the tips of your lower, older leaves and progresses upward to the rest of your leaves. So basically older leaves start to yellow uh, and then the, it progresses up the plant towards the newer leaves, uh, just a general kind of yellowing. Uh, if nitrogen deficiency is left uncorrected, the leaves are gonna turn brown, die, and fall off the plant. So you really wanna make sure you've got nitrogen available. Uh, if you feel that there's a deficiency, add some nitrogen-heavy newts. Uh, now with phosphorus, uh, typically it's the leaf tips of older leaves that are going to darken and kind of turn down. Some people even call that kind of like uh, taco leaves or whatever, where they, they, they turn, uh, newer leaves are going to turn dark from their edges in, uh, red and purple stems, uh, are also a sign that there's probably a lack of phosphorus, uh, and a severe de deficiency is going to lead to blotches on the leaves, dark colored blotches. Um, and growth will basically slow to a crawl and stop. So uh, phosphorus, very important. Potassium, uh, which is the K and NPK, uh, lack of potassium shows first as burnt leaf tips and leaf edges. Uh, and then eventually those leaves are going to curl up uh, with spots. Um, so again, ta that taco leaf action, but in the opposite direction. The uh, with potassium, the leaves curl up. With phosphorus, they kind of curl down. Um, now, older leaves can also turn red, uh, form dead patches, and will eventually die. So uh, you definitely want to supplement uh, with potassium. Uh, the next most uh, often deficiency is calcium and magnesium. Uh, CalMag, people always joke in the cannabis world that, you know, adding CalMag is the solution to every problem. But in some ways it is uh, because they call them micronutrients, but you do need a decent amount of them. The plants use a lot of it. So... Uh, deficiencies of CalMag are going to show as dark green veins on your fan leaves, uh, and then there'll be yellow patches in between those veins uh, where the leaf meets the stem. So uh, again, taco leaves as well uh, could be calcium and magnesium. That's the thing about some of these symptoms is that they don't always point you 100% in the direction of where you need to go. And in some cases, some of these splotches could be issues with your water uh, hardness and softness of the water, or even things like chlorine in the water. So just got to keep that in mind. And then there's all the micronutrients and trace nutrients uh, that all kind of have their own, um, you know, sulfur, zinc, iron, manganese. Um, and they all kind of express their the lack of themselves in different ways. But uh, the remedy is always to add some nutrients 
with those micronutrients available and, you know, start mild and work your way up. So that is today's uh, section on nutrient deficiencies. Uh, definitely something you need to fix. And if you've been listening to me for long enough and you've been feeding lightly, then at some point you're going to see some of these and have to deal with them. So there you have it, nutrient deficiencies. All right, there is the grow tip. And now it is time, uh, as always, to answer some uh, questions from our listeners. And if you have a question that you would like addressed on this show, uh, get in touch with us. You could email us, that is info at growbudyourself.com. You could also uh, leave a question on our Patreon page, on YouTube, on the socials, so get in touch. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's jump right in here. Let's do it. Okay, so uh, let's start off with Angelo, who writes, Hey, Danny and Mike, I love your new podcast. Uh, I've been binge listening for about a month now and truly enjoy the content, even though I don't necessarily grow yet. I've recently heard about PGRs and how harmful they can be when smoked. I know you guys have talked about people uh, using non-organic nutrients in their grows and how they should flush prior to harvest. Are PGRs simply for aesthetic purposes? Uh, what are your thoughts on them, and should people think twice before smoking really dense bud? I think there's a big misconception that good indoor is super dense. So what are some precautions consumers can take, especially in non-legal states? So uh, yeah, what would you say there to Angelo? Yeah, so uh, yeah. Uh, first off, PGRs are plant growth regulators. Um, these are uh, naturally occurring chemicals that act kind of like a hormone um, specific to plants. So uh, what they do is they inhibit what the plant's growth hormones want it to do. Uh, so basically they keep the plants short. You know, they've, they've been used in agriculture and landscaping for a long time and there are naturally derived PGRs that are perfectly fine. Actually, like we talked about uh, with sweet leaf nutrients when they were on the show, um, these include kelp, uh, chitosan, uh, trichotinol, uh, and then there's chemically derived synthetic PGRs. These are not uh, naturally derived, so it's not coming from kelp. This is developed in a lab. Um, these are hard to pronounce, but uh, you know, deminozide. Uh, which is also known as ALAR, A-L-A-R, if you see that in a product, or uniconazole. <laughs> and these are sprayed on plants uh, to help them to grow more uniformly and maintain certain attributes. And basically, if you think about growth regulation, it just means it inhibits growth and keeps them from stretching and has those buds densed up like you talked about. And the chemical ones are no-nos in my book. Uh, but not all dense buds are grown with PGRs and indoor is denser in some cases just because of the way that it's grown. And some buds are dense because of the way that they're packaged. Uh, if they're like pressed up together and, and or mushed together or vacuum sealed or that sort of thing. So keep that in mind. Uh, but again, if you're growing for your own personal use, there's no reason to use PGRs. I mean, we're not growing poinsettias. You know, this is something you're going to consume. So you should be very concerned uh, if those type of synthetic PGRs are in any of your newts. I mean, chemically derived PGRs are known to cause cancer, uh, poison the liver. They're environmental pollutants. You know, these are not anything that should be on cannabis. So I want to be clear that there's a, a risk to your health and it's a real risk. So 
keep that in mind. And the difference between natural PGRs and chemically derived PGRs is vast and great. So keep that in mind as well. Okay, so um, there you go. Uh, Stay away from those PGRs. Thank you, Angelo. We hope that helps. Let's move on to Brian. Brian writes, hey, Mike and Danny, uh, I've been binging your show. And I've recently set up my first grow. I'm using a 3x3 Mammoth tent with a 315 watt PowerSun CMH LEC light on an 18.6 cycle and Fox Farm Ocean Forest floor as my medium. And feeding with a 20-20-20 fertilizer made by a local hydroponic company here in British Columbia. Uh, is this setup and fertilizer enough for the flowering stage? What would you say to Brian? Yes, I would say... Um, the setup is enough, uh, although you are going to need to change your light cycle. So you'll need a timer to change that light cycle from 18.6 to 12.12 when you start your flowering stage. Uh, unless you're growing auto flowers, I guess, which you didn't mention. Uh, 20-20-20 fertilizer is really kind of an all-purpose. Uh, so it will cover, you know, everything, but it's a little extra, um, you know, nitrogen for flowering period. So it's kind of like a catch-all. Uh, and I would definitely recommend using a different fertilizer f- uh, for the vegetative stage uh, compared with the flowering stage. Uh, but at 20-20-20, like I said, it's, that's kind of a catch-all. So if you had to do it with that, you could as long as you were feeding properly. Um, so you do have everything you, you need for the flowering stage. Uh, but I would potentially invest in a in a a grow or a veg uh, fertilizer for that initial stage of growth and a flowering or bloom fertilizer for the second stage of growth uh, if you're a beginner. And if you're not, then you can look into uh, all kinds of newts and additives and things that you, you want to dial in. Very good. All right. Uh, we hope that helps, Brian. Let's move on to D-Man. D-Man writes, uh, hey, slick buds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, I enjoy your show. I've been considering growing CBD plants for the past couple years due to different injuries over the years. Uh, I've been growing for many decades, but not that educated on the CBD craze. So, yeah, what would you say to uh, to D-Man about growing CBD? Yeah, I mean, if you've been growing for decades, it's the same process. You just get seeds uh, that are CBD-rich seeds. Uh you know, the, not the seeds themselves, but they grow CBD-rich plants, and you grow them out just like you did, like you would with your high THC plants, uh, and then you consume them in whatever way you would choose, whether you want to smoke uh, those high CBD flowers or turn them into uh, extracts, hash, tinctures, all kinds of different options for you, depending on how you want to consume that. Uh, but the growing process is almost exactly, if not exactly, the same as uh, growing high THC plants, you, you, you know, plant the seeds, you grow them through their vegetative stage, you flower them for uh, approximately 60 days or so, and you, then you harvest them and trim them up and dry them. So the process is really the same. It's just that the genetics of the plant uh, induce plants that have a high CBD content and a low THC content. So um, it's really no different as far as the growing process. Now, that's very different if you're growing hemp plants. So let's make the distinction between, uh, you know, hemp plants that are being grown uh, for CBD that can can be grown completely differently as as far as, you know, CBD-rich cannabis plants, which are slightly different from the hemp varieties. 
uh, that are grown for different purposes. So keep that in mind. But if you're growing like, you know, Dynafem, CBD, Blue Dream or something like that, that process is the same. All right. And yeah, last week, uh, Luke actually discussed a little bit about the uh, the advances that have been made with uh, with CBD plants that are being grown and the work that they've done with that. So that was really interesting. All right. So uh, there you go, D-Man. Thanks for reaching out. We got time for one more here. So let's go to A-Rod. Probably not that A-Rod, but an A-Rod. He writes, uh, I'm a grower for medical use and I grow outdoors. My problem is it rains like crazy where I live, which means that there are snails everywhere and they've invaded my garden. They're eating my poor plants alive. What can I do to get rid of these bastards and make sure they don't come back? Any advice uh, would be appreciated. Thanks for what you do. So what would you say to uh, to A-Rod? Yeah, you know, this is uh, one of those pests that doesn't really get their due. Uh, but actually does a lot of damage. Um, And snails can be a serious problem for outdoor growers, and especially for young plants, plants in their vegetative stage. Uh, Once they start flowering, I think snails are a little bit less of a problem. Uh, But when when it's a young plant, they can really destroy it. And um, so signs of snail damage would be those gross mucus trails that they leave behind uh, and the holes in the leaves of the plants that they're eating. So Uh, One good idea is to spread diatomaceous earth around your plants. That will discourage snails, slugs, any of these kind of slimy, gross uh, creatures. Um, Another way to keep them from harming your plants is to maintain a dry top layer of soil. Um, But that requires watering from below. Doesn't sound like that's possible in your particular outdoor rainy situation. Um, I love this other method which is uh sinking a cup of beer into your soil you basically make a hole in your soil the same size as a cup push that cup down into there fill that cup with beer uh, and leave the rim of the cup basically right at soil level the slugs just can't resist the yeast in the beer and they're going to drop right down into that cup and drown Uh, and it's gross because you get a cup full of gross uh, slug beer uh, but you do end up killing a lot of slugs that way. So that's a good way to do it as well. Um, there's also another method, uh, which I really don't want to recommend. Uh, it's products like Deadline. Um, actually, Sluggo is actually a safer alternative if you have pets. Uh, but I would be remiss not to mention them. I mean, these are like the nuclear option uh, of slug-killing products. You basically spray a thin line of this gunk about a foot or so in diameter around the base of your young plants uh, and you do that in the evening uh, and every month or so and the snails will stay away but I don't really like the thought of that stuff seeping into the soil uh, and being part of my uh, ecosystem so like I said that's really a last resort try the beer cup uh, try the diatomaceous earth and hopefully you will rid yourself of your slug problem there you go. Get rid of those slugs, those snails. We hope that helps you out, A-Rod. And uh, good luck with the Hall of Fame voting in 2022. That should be interesting stuff. Thanks to everybody who uh, wrote in to the show today. If you have a question that you would like answered, email us. That would be info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, what do you say we take a little break, come back, and then wrap this up? Let's do it. right here we are i guess this is the wrap and uh yeah we uh just 
put out the uh, the three winners of the Paradise Seeds contest. So that's uh, there's a, that's a wrap on that contest as well. People got some Paradise Seeds merch, uh, which is pretty exciting. I want to thank uh, Rick Thompson for coming on and talking to us about uh, uh, Michael Thompson and the Hash Bash, the 50th annual Hash Bash, April 3rd. Uh, hope you guys will join us for that. want to thank Dr. MJ Coco of CocoForCannabis.com. Uh, and the book Cocoa for Cannabis, A Grower's Guide. Uh, definitely check out that site. Um, lots of great information. Uh, definitely want to thank our sponsors, Diamond Cut Co., uh, Incredible Trimming Scissors. Use that code uh, DANKO20 for 20% off. Sweet Leaf Nutrients. Use the code DANKO15 for 15% off everything at sweetleaf.com. Uh, Excelsior Extracts, their pain relief rub. Check them out on Instagram. Uh, vapor.com you can always use code gby for 15% off everything on vapor.com and i've noticed people are ordering some stuff on there so if you need rolling papers puffco peaks pretty much anything volcano you know a, a new rig anything they are there at vapor.com and you can save yourself 15% by using that code gby uh want to thank my co-host and producer mike g mike uh follow us on social media say hi to mike He's lonely out there. I'm lonely. (laughs) And uh, I want to thank you guys for listening to the show uh, and supporting us, all our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Danny Danko, Jacques and Winstrong. I feel like I'm getting played off now by music, but uh, hey, man. that cane out. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, uh, there it is, episode 45. Uh, I think that's a wrap, so let's put it in the books. 